0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, we thank you for the way that you speak to us and reveal yourself to us through uh, these words, but Lord, we recognise that these are in the end uh, just words, and unless you enliven us and uh, reveal yourself to us, Lord, um, it will just fall on deaf ears. So please, Lord, open our ears, open our eyes to see, and Lord, may the meditations of our heart... Um, and uh, the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. We pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, did you make it out to the polls last weekend? We've just had our Queensland election. Uh, who lined up for several hours, or probably felt like several hours, but who lined up and for ages to try and get into into the into the polls? Or who who took the easy way out and did a postal vote like me? <laughs> Now, uh, I, I like our political system. Um, it's not perfect, but when you consider the alternate options to what we've got, you start to go, well, maybe, maybe it's, it's the best of a bad bunch. Like it, oh, it, the, in the best, best case scenario, we would have a, a really good, holy, righteous king who would rule over us. But the problem is that kings are people and they tend to be um, they tend to be a bit sinful and run off the rails and even blokes with the best intentions like David uh, get stuff messed up. So we've got the next best thing where we get to pick somebody from our local area who represents us, who goes to Brisbane on our behalf. In theory, he or she fights for our needs and pleads our case and uh, they, 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 they're a voice for us. They should be our voice in, in local government. Our, our local politician is both sent on our behalf but we also hope that they will return with something for our benefit whether it be a second range crossing or a bigger police force or better laws or improvements to education. Whatever it is, we send them out on our behalf and then they return hopefully for our benefit. They intercede for us, they, they mediate for us and whether or not they do a good job of that will affect how you vote next in a couple of years' time. So why am I talking about our political system? Because it provides an excellent example of what we're looking at today. Not the idea of voting, but the concept of of representative, a mediator, an intercessor on our behalf. We're covering Exodus uh, 32 to 34 today. Steve covered the surrounding chapters on the tabernacle and laws last week, Uh, and we're we're, we're, (laughs) almost to the end of our exodus journey with only one more sermon to go before we get into their christmas sermons so where have we gone we've followed the israelites from their plight in in israel they were sorry in egypt you know under hundreds of years of slavery we saw that god sent them a messiah to free them from slavery and his name was moses and Moses, under the direction of God and by God's power, led the budding nation of Israel out of Egypt in triumph. God destroyed Egypt's religion. He he decimated their army. He dethroned their king. He plundered their wealth. Then Moses brought Israel to the mountain of God. And they've come out of their bondage to slavery to meet God at the mountain. And they entered into a covenant there. God and Israel entered into a covenant together and God gave them pretty pretty strict rules about how they ought to live, what it meant to belong to God as a nation, what the rules were about living in the promised land. He promised to bless them if they remained in the covenant and he gave them very precise instructions on how to worship. And this is where we are up to today and unfortunately we run into the first major stuff up in this book. You know, up till now, you know, there's been a few road bumps, there's been some some grumblings and things, but generally speaking, the people have gone along and they've done what they've been told to do. But now it looks like things are about to fall apart. Things are coming undone and we we, we have to ask the question Will will God reject these people that He has just saved out of Egypt? Will He wipe them off the face of the map? There's there's lots of fun and interesting little quirks in these chapters like you know Moses' veil vale and the Levites running around and killing all their their tribesmen and um you know weird things like that there's little sections that talk about the 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 fashions of uh, of Egypt sorry Israelites in the desert and you know when you look at all these kind of fun things to talk about sometimes it's hard to miss the the overall the the broad picture of what's happening in these three chapters So if you want to talk about some of those fun, quirky little things, come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk about them, but just it's we've only got so much time here. So we're going to talk about the broad picture of these three chapters. The overriding theme of these chapters is Moses interceding for Israel. Moses is the representative of the people. Moses is the mediator between the Lord and Israel. Moses is an intercessor. This, this passage, we haven't obviously been able to read the whole thing, but there's four distinct times when Moses, on behalf of Israel, intercedes for them. He intervenes on behalf of Israel with God. And so this morning I want to tell you about four effects of Moses' role as mediator, four ways that he acts as a go-between between God and Israel. But we're not just going to stop there talking about what Moses did. We're going to see... How, we, we need to understand how this affects us as Christians. We're not Old Testament Israelites in the desert. We, uh, we don't have Moses as our intercessor. So we have to answer the question, who will intercede for me and for you? So let me see the scene for you in the opening of this, these chapters. We've got Got Moses is away yet again. He's gone up on the mountain and he's been meeting with God. Presumably it's been both a joyful and a terrifying experience. But while Moses has been away, he's been away for over a month, the people are down in the camp at the base of the mountain are starting to get a bit antsy. They're not sure what's going on. Moses has been gone for a while. Is he dead? What's happened to him? Has he abandoned us? What's taking so long? Well, Moses has been talking with God. The people had entered into that covenant uh, a little while ago. We looked at how they ratified that covenant with blood and the, on the elders of Israel with the sacrifices. They had all agreed to abide by the covenant, and Moses has gone back up on the mountain to get extra rules about worship and about how to build the tabernacle and such things. So Moses, on behalf of the people, is acting as a messenger. And he was bringing down divine messages for them. After all, God had actually spoken directly to the people of Israel with the Ten Commandments. And they turned around and they said um, down there in, the, in those quotes, you, you shall speak to us, This says this to Moses, you shall speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. God has spoken to them and they said, no, we can't bear it. You, you act on our behalf as our mediator. You bring God's words to us. And so Moses, Moses had been faithfully running up and down the Israel, uh, running up and down the mountain for Israel. You know, he's a, he's a pretty sprightly 80 year old, um, making trips up and down on their behalf. And he wasn't just acting on behalf of, of Israel, he's also acting on behalf of God. He's kind of playing both sides, so to speak. He's doing what God wants and bringing God's message, but he's also uh, acting on behalf of the people to bring God's words to them. He, he was their conduit to hear from God. And so when we get to this opening of chapter 32, when they're wondering what's happened to Moses, well, he's up on top of the mountain with God, receiving the messages that they had asked him to bring Moses kindly acts as their intermediary so that people don't die. And this is a pretty beautiful privilege even for Israel. Even though they're not hearing the direct words of God, they have somebody who goes in between them, who will bring them the words of God. To have somebody who firsthand has spoken to God and has the answers that you're looking for. How should I worship God? Well, Moses can come and say, I was speaking with God and he said, this is how we shall worship God. That's a, it's, it's, it's a privilege that you can receive the words of God without the terror and the fear that comes with being in the presence of God. But I ask the question: What about you and me? We're not ancient Israelites. Who will bring God's word to us? I want to tell you that we too have a beautiful privilege of somebody who has come from the Father and who has brought His message to us, and His name is Jesus. I bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, Jesus is the answer to every question today, just in case you didn't get that. Jesus brought to us the good news of God, the gospel to broken humanity. He brought to us what we need to hear from God. And Jesus says in John 12 for I've not spoken on my own authority but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak and I know that his commandment is eternal life what I say therefore I say as the Father has told me Jesus comes as the as the one who brings God's word Jesus brings commandments that lead to eternal life Jesus brings the words of God Jesus acts both on God's behalf and on our behalf He's in between. But Jesus doesn't act alone on his in his job of bringing God's words to us. Jesus has left the earth, but still God's words are brought to us through Jesus by the Spirit. And Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus' words are delivered to us today by the Holy Spirit, causing the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament combined with the Old Testament to be recorded down for us and delivered through history to our very hands. This written word is enlivened and implied to our heart and minds by the Holy Spirit. So while Israel had to rely on Moses running up and down the mountain to bring them God's word, we have Jesus' words and the Holy Spirit who delivers to us the words of God. All right, so Moses is up on the mountain. And things are starting to go a bit awry in the camp, as we, as we read about. The, the people are having trouble accommodating the new religious order. They've just been told a, a, a bit over a month earlier, with booming words from God... You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is even on earth above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. So God has just told them not to make images for worship. He's told them not to make idols with words from heaven. But the people thought that they knew better. They said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. We don't know what's going on. Let's just do worship the way that we want to do worship. Make us an idol, they asked Aaron. They think that the way that you worship a god is by creating an image, a symbolic image of that god, and then worshipping the image as a conduit to that god. So the folks tell Aaron, who was in charge while Moses was away, to create an idol so that they could get on with their journey up to Canaan to go they wanted gods to go before us so Aaron caves into the mob mentality and he takes up a collection of gold that the same gold that God had blessed them with uh, when they left Egypt they used God's blessing of that gold and those riches to create an idol Moses uh, Aaron carves an image with his own hands he carves a ball And then Aaron turns around and he says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then Aaron set up an altar and he called a feast to start a thoroughly pagan, a thoroughly ungodly worship celebration. He, he was trying to mix in these things. They were using the the they were using the sacrifices that God had given them, the peace offering and and the other one, which I can't remember, the burnt offering and the peace offering, and they were trying to worship God, but they were doing it through these ungodly worship practices with idolatry. Now they were trying to worship god don't don't, don't think that they're trying to worship a different God they've seen God's work, they've seen his power they've heard him speak from heaven but they were trying to go about it their own way. And what they were doing was importing the ideas of cultures around them for their worship. They were trying to do what they had seen in Egypt or what other other tribes around the area did. They were copying others' forms of worship, despite the fact that God had told them how to do it. And unsurprisingly, God's quite angry with this. They have just recently entered into a covenant with him with strict terms on idolatry. And they said, all this we shall do. And it's been broken. This covenant has been broken like the two tables that Moses broke at the bottom of the mountain. The people have have disobeyed God in a big way and he's ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. God says he will wipe them out and start over with, with Moses He said to Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. He says, look, I'm done with these people. I'll I'll, I'll use you, Moses, as the rootstock. We'll start again with you um, and we'll get this thing going again. Now, Moses does something that kind of blows my mind. Instead of saying, okay, God, you know best. Um, I'm just a mere man. Don't let me get in the way. Um, I'll just let you alone with your hot anger and leave me out of it. But instead, Moses jumps in on behalf of the people and he says, Lord, don't, don't destroy your people. He implored God, he begged for the Lord to relent and not to do what he said. Not only that, he has the goal to return and to seek God three more times and say, Don't, don't go through with this. Don't do what you said you would do. Moses loved his people. He was not disinterested in them. You know, even though he tried to, tried to weasel out of responsibility back at the burning bush, Moses still has a genuine desire to see his people come out and to come into the freedom and the prosperity of the, of the promised land under God. And he's so um, kind of so committed to his countrymen that he says, look, if you will forgive their sin. We I ask that you you'll forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. If you're not going to if you're not going to be on their side, Lord, please just discount me. Moses would rather lose himself than let his people be rejected by God. And he pleads on the basis of God's past promises. He says, Lord, don't do this because of your promises. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, Lord, don't do this because you have promised to bring these people out, and and your glory will be um, your name will be uh, uh, mocked by the other nations if you don't come through on your promises. And Moses' intercession works. He says and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Some, some versions uh, of the text will even say, and God repented. God turned around from what he was going to do, to do something different. This is a man who loves his people. He desires their good. He wants them to be freed from the guilt of their sin and to have atonement and to have life with God. He knows that they deserve death. Moses knows that the arrogance of idolatry is worth the death penalty. He even had sent some of those Levites to go through the camp and to, and to cut them down. But he seeks to find a way around the penalty that they are due. And he does it by advocating for Israel. And God responds with mercy. Now, it's important to remember that God's not just sitting around being grumpy and waiting for somebody like Moses to come along and cheer him up. He's doing what is, what is right, what is just, what is, what, is, what is proper. The consequences, the actions have consequences and the actions of the people were going to be these consequences. It's not God being, it's not God being unkind or, or um, you know, yeah. Sometimes the God of the Old Testament is kind of portrayed as this mean, grumpy God. But that's not what's happening here. God is doing what is just and right. There's, there's actions and then and there's consequences. God wants the people to get what they deserve. Like criminals who've committed crimes, when we hear about somebody who does something dreadful, they like murder somebody or they, they do something uh, to hurt other people, we want them to get the penalty for their crimes. And Israel deserves to be wiped out for their crimes. God allows Moses to intercede on their behalf. But what about you and what about you and me? We we don't have Moses interceding on our behalf under the old covenant. We need somebody to intercede on our behalf because we know very well of the darkness that is within ourselves. We know that we need somebody to intercede on our behalf because I can't very well do it. And it'll come as no surprise that this reminds us of Jesus. Moses intercedes for Israel so that their sin will not prevent access to God. And Jesus is our intercessor who advocates for us and deals with our sin. Uh, John in his letter reminds the people he's writing to. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. God ought to smash us for our rebellion. He ought to wipe us from the face of the earth. But instead, Jesus steps in as our propitiation and our advocate. He intercedes on our behalf. And and Paul reminds us in Romans, he asks, who is to condemn? Christ, Jesus, is the one who died, more than that, who was raised... Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed who indeed is interceding for us. There is no condemnation for us because of what Jesus has done. So next we see that even though Moses has interceded to save their life, God appears to be unwilling to accompany them. And part of the bit that we didn't read, God says. Look, okay, I won't kill them, but you're on your own now. I'll send, I'll send my angel with you to guide you, but God's presence will not go with them because, yeah, it says in, 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 in verse 33 of 33, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God knows that Israel is going to continue in rebellion. There will be more sin. There will be more grumbling. There will even be more idolatry. And he implies that if his presence goes with them, he'll be brought to anger again and wipe them out. But Moses intercedes for them again in verse 12 of the same chapter. And once again, God listens to what Moses says. And he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. for Moses it's not simply enough to save israel out of death or to save them out of the slavery of egypt he knows that if god doesn't go with them they're just like any other nation they're pretty much like just just like everybody else but god favors moses and grants him his desire they will not leave god behind at sinai but god will go with them now now moses used to go into a um into a tent that was outside the camp to meet with god But when the tabernacle is completed, God will actually dwell in their midst and lead them by his presence. And it will not just be Moses who gets to deal with God, but the priests will be able to serve him and mediate the worship of God. In their midst and before them, they could dwell with Israel. Sorry, God would dwell with Israel and he would lead them into Canaan. Yet it appears that this is only happening because of the intercession of Moses. Righteous Moses. Israel would dwell in God's presence because their mediator interceded on their behalf. So, what about us? How will we come into God's presence? Who will intercede to bring God's presence to us? Jesus. Christ, too, brings his people into the presence of God. Since since Adam got us kicked out of the garden, one way or another, humankind has been unable to dwell in the presence of God. We see how it's been mucked up at at Sinai. We see how it gets mucked up in in the desert with the tabernacle. We see how it gets mucked up in Israel. Every step along the way, people fail to... It just doesn't work when God and man live together. But Jesus has made a way that we can dwell with God. We can be in God's presence. It's not yet a physical reality. We do have the physical reality of, of the spirit dwelling within the body of Christ and leading us. But eventually we will actually meet God face to face. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Through and with our Messiah, Jesus, we will be brought to the very presence of God in resurrection. And there we will rejoice. We'll join him on a mountaintop with God. And we will never have to leave for fear. In that place there will be peace and security. There we will dwell in the presence of God. Lastly, we see that Moses interceding reflects God. You see, Moses acted on behalf of the people, but he also acts on behalf of God. He was the go-between in the middle. Even though he revealed God by bringing the word of God to Israel, he reflects God's glory to them. As we read about it's a very physical thing. When Moses came down from the mountain, Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony. These are the refreshed tablets. In his hand he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. The, the way that God and Moses meet impacts Moses' physical appearance he literally glows with God's glory. It's kind of like radiation, you know. Um, if you go into a radioactive, um, you, you receive radiation, you kind of absorb it, and then you become radioactive yourself. Moses, who sits with God and talks with him and mediates for the people, reflects some of that, cont- that contained glory out on people. But this was a fading glory. It wasn't permanent. It had a half-life. Moses' shining face would would dull as he stayed away from God. And so he'd cover it with a veil so um, so that people would not be able to see the glory slipping away. He would need to go back and to be revived by the glory of God. And he would reflect that to the people. But who will reveal God's glory to us? oh really that's a surprise in the opening chapter of John we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory glory of the as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth you see Jesus came to humankind as the revealer of God's glory he didn't he didn't run around with a shining face like Moses but he was thoroughly God in his very being And God's glory leaked out all over the place with healing and miracles and teaching and the commands from God. Jesus even says from himself, if you have known me, you would have also, you've known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Seeing Jesus is to see the father. He was not merely a man who, like Moses, could be warmed up, like zapping A cup of coffee in the microwave he he gets warmed up by the glory of God but 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 Jesus is a source of the glory of God he is the source of God's glory he was the essence of God yet even though Jesus is a reflection of God's glory Jesus is to see Jesus is to see God some people look at Jesus and they don't they don't see God's glory they they read the story of God in history and they miss, they miss God's glory and how it comes out in Jesus. The, the Old Testament reveals God's glory, but it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And some folks just seem blind to seeing how God's glory drips from the pages of Scripture. But Paul helpfully explains this to us in, in 2 Corinthians. He, he he uses the image of, of Moses' veil to, to say that unless Jesus and the Spirit are the true revealers of God, the veil of ignorance blocks us from God. Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians, Paul says, if you can read that, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that Israel's, Israelites might not see, not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for the, to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What a promise. Where God's spirit is at work, we're being transformed into people who can go into the very presence of God and behold him for ourselves. By having the veil lifted from our eyes, we can see God and his glory and it affects us to transform us into the image of God. We don't have a a glory like Moses which will fade but we have a glory like Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which is the likeness of God. You know, our lives are filled with things that distract us from this. The, 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 this life is filled with things that twist and mar the image of God in our lives. We are, we're like photographs that have been, have been scrunched up and they've been put in water so that the colors bleed and they've they've been faded and muddied and you look at the photograph and you can't make out what it is meant to represent you can't look at us in our fallen human nature and see the image of god bursting forth but when the spirit of god is at work showing us god's glory these effects are undone These photographs become beautiful, clear, crisp, bright in their colors and portray the image of God. Through the Spirit of God, we're being being made into the image of God. Through the intercession of Jesus and through Christ, we can come into God's presence. The presence of God is brought to us. So let's, uh, let's pull a few of these things together. Let's just kind of recap where we've been this morning. We've talked about the, that, that idea that, you know, in, even in our governmental system, we, we have a representative who goes for us and pleads on our behalf and advocates for us and intercedes for us. Who reminds us of, of, of our greater and better intercessor, intercessor. We've seen how in in Exodus chapter 32 to 34, we've seen Moses continued intercession for the people on their behalf and also being the representative of God to them. But we have somebody who is way greater than Moses, somebody who's on a completely different level, someone who is not just a mere man, but he is the God man. He is the man who is from God and who is God, but is fully human and takes on human flesh. And he acts as our mediator, our go-between, the one who represents us to God and God to us. He he brings the word of God to us. He pleads our case before God and seeks propitiation and atonement for our sin. He is the one who brings God's presence to us and he is the one who reveals God to us and, and through his and the spirit's work we are transformed into the image of god now i don't know quite where to where to kind of finish this up but i think it's important for us to reflect on this and to uh reflect on our need for an intercessor we can't we can't uh, come before god and plead our own case what are we going to say god be nice to me i'm a pretty good guy um You know, I've done done more good things than bad things. You know, I'm I'm a good person. I don't break the law much. I'm generally nice to people. It doesn't count. One faulty act of worship for the Israelites was enough for God to be ready to wipe them all from the face of the earth. That's the severity of our sin. We need to understand the severity of our sin and our need for an intercessor who will be who will plead our case, who will go on our behalf because without him, we're lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our intercessors. We thank you for Christ who goes on our behalf. We thank you for the work of the Spirit who accomplishes the intercession of Christ in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us and that you are able to bring us into your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we don't rely on a faulty and weak man like Moses. As great as he was, Lord, he was still a man whose glory fades. Lord, we thank you that we are brought into your presence by Christ. Christ who has entered into your presence on our behalf, who has offered atonement for our sin. Who brings us into your presence with joy and thanksgiving. Lord, we look forward to that day of resurrection when we are when we are raised with Christ. But we pray that even now, as you transform us by your spirit, that we'll be willing participants of this process. That we would yield to you. That we would say, not my will, but your will be done. We pray, Lord, that you would highlight to us the severity of our need. The severity of our need for Christ to, to work on our behalf. Please, Lord, guide us as we go out this week, we pray. Amen.